Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I want to welcome you to Element Church. Uh, so glad that you're here today. My name's Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element, and I have the privilege of sharing the message with you today. Whether you, hear, you are here in the service or whether you are joining us online, we're uh, thankful that you are joining us today. There's a Discovery Channel documentary out. You may have heard of it before. It's called Grizzly Man. And it's the story, it's a true story of a man named Timothy Treadwell. I brought a picture of Timothy for you. Here's a, a picture up there for you. That's Timothy right there with a big giant grizzly bear in the background. Timothy was a self-proclaimed friend of the bears. Okay, that's, that's really true. He really thought he was a friend of the bears and people thought he was nuts. They had a good reason to think he was kind of nuts because for every year, for every summer, for 13 years, he would go up to Alaska and he would live with the bears. He would talk to the bears as if they were humans. He would play with the bears, sing to the bears, pet the bears on one occasion uh, in a way to show his dominance. And, and for whatever reason, one of the bears needed to be disciplined. He slapped one of the grizzly bears, right? That's not a very good idea. And it's actually a really tragic story because in the year 2003, after 13 years of doing this, uh, Timothy and his girlfriend were both tragically killed by a bear. And in light of that tragic story, there's a reality that is true, and it's this. Fear is a very natural thing. Like God has created us with a sense of fear, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. For example, fear of bears is probably a healthy thing. I think most people would agree with that statement. Fear, however, can become destructive when it transitions to cowardice. As a country, fear would be a good word to describe our nation, especially in light of the political landscape today. It would certainly be an accurate description of the church today as well. Next week, Pastor Jeff is going to be starting a new sermon series called Decision 2016. And in this new sermon series, uh, it's going to be themed around this subject of the elections. And I encourage you to invite someone. We have uh, invite cards on your seats today as a, a, a tool for you to invite somebody to come to church with you. It's going to be a great sermon series that you don't want to miss. But on a very personal level, fear can often cripple our faith. Whether it is fear uh, because of something in our marriage or fear about our financial future, fear of God's provision in, in some way, fear of the recent medical news that we have just been informed of. There, there's all kinds of fear that we experience, and that fear can prevent us from taking the steps of obedience that the Lord wants for us to take. It can cripple our faith if it transitions to cowardice. The Apostle Paul writes a letter in the New Testament to a young pastor named Timothy. Actually, he writes two letters. We know of them as 1st and 2nd Timothy. And in the second letter, in 2nd Timothy, Paul is himself facing persecution. And he expects Timothy, this young pastor that he's coaching and mentoring, he expects Timothy to face a similar persecution in the midst of uncertain times. Paul is not challenging healthy 
fear, like the fear of grizzly bears or or poisonous snakes or something like that. He's challenging unhealthy fear or cowardice that has the power to potentially hamstring Timothy's faith. Now, to understand the context of the situation, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, is writing this letter from prison. Now, in a different season, uh, Paul was in, he was under house arrest when he wrote some of his other letters. And house arrest, uh, in house arrest, he was able to receive visitors, and it was kind of like probation. But now, Paul writes from a dingy, dark, cold prison cell. He's expecting to meet death Face to face, he knows firsthand that the uh, he knows firsthand the fear that Timothy will be facing in the days and the years to come. The big idea for the message today is this: the church fails if it responds to uncertainty with fear. The church fails if it responds to uncertainty with fear. The big question we're going to ask today then is this: How can my faith thrive? In spite of uncertainty. Main scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, as always, we'd love to give you one today. You can stop by guest services out in the lobby today. It'd be our honor to give you one of those uh, free of charge, no strings attached today. But the verses will be up on the screen for you as well. 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the young pastor Timothy when he says this, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. How can my faith thrive in spite of uncertainty? Number one is this. My faith must be started. My faith must be started. Let's look back at verse 5 quickly again. It says this. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Timothy's faith, like our faith, had a beginning. It started somewhere. And I'm not sure where you're at today in your faith. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And I'm so glad that you're here. Perhaps one of the questions that you have on your mind or a question that you will have on your mind at some point is, if I ever did turn to God, would he actually accept me? Would he actually forgive me? And though this young pastor, Timothy, grew up in a Christian home, Paul, who writes this letter to Timothy, is someone that that we would say has committed the worst sins, including murdering Christians. Yet when Paul turns to God in faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives him, God changes his life, and God makes him into a new creation. So wherever you come from, 
Whatever your situation, whatever it is you're struggling with, you need to know, first of all, that there is a God that loves you, and this God delights in forgiving and delights in restoring. As for Timothy, his faith started with his mother and his grandmother. They raised him in a Christian home, and at some point in his life, he turned to Jesus for salvation as well. Timothy's faith is a reminder to us that our faith must begin somewhere. For all of us, our faith must begin with trusting in Jesus for salvation. A commentator from the Wesleyan Commentary says this, I thought this was excellent, says this, the task for the second third, and fourth generation Christian is to keep the legacy intact. The task for the first generation Christian is to create a new legacy. All Christian families start with a first generation. Paul makes a point here out of highlighting the faith of Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother. They had a significant impact on his life. There's a family here in uh, the church here in, in Cheyenne, uh, a family that every time I think about them, every time I think about their story, I'm just inspired, absolutely inspired. Their names are Aaron and Kat Fior. They've been a, a part of our church for a long time now, seven years or so now. Uh, great, great family, and uh, they have seven children. And I said last service that, that anybody that has that many children, we should just give them a prize. Like they... They are surviving, their kids are surviving, like that, that is a feat in and of itself. But I remember, I met Aaron about uh, seven years ago or so, uh, right after Aaron had, had surrendered his life to Jesus, and he came to the Lord in faith, and God, man, I'll tell you what, God did a work in Aaron. God saved him, made him into a new creation, and uh, the, the interesting thing is Aaron really has a, a very radical salvation story. Uh, for a long time in his life, he hated the church and had a real genuine hatred toward Christianity as a whole. He went through a very uh, difficult season in his life. And in that difficult season, he ended up reaching out to church. Just so happens, he came to Element Church. He found us on our website or something like that. And just so happens, he came to Element. He heard the message of Jesus and he responded to Jesus in faith and God saved him. It's just it, awesome, awesome story. His wife, Kat, had a similar story as well. Uh, Aaron brought Kat to church after he got saved, before they were even married, before they were even dating. And uh, she heard the message of Christ. She got saved as well. Eventually they, they got married. And I'll tell you what, God's just done an amazing work in both of them. But the, the most inspiring thing to me about Aaron and Kat is every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, about 8, 8.15 a.m., something like that, I see Aaron and Kat walk into the church from, from the back of the church where most of our volunteers park, and they walk into the church lobby to get ready to serve. And they have a, a herd of people with them. It's awesome. And I love it because they walk in as one big group and, and hear these parents that are first-generation Christians, right? 
They are raising the second generation, and they're leading the way in what it means to serve in the church. It's awesome. And they're growing in their faith and all these things. And both of them, both of them are are leading significant uh, portions of the church, the ministry here at Element. It's incredible to me. It's incredibly inspiring because Aaron and Kat, they are actively creating a legacy that did not exist for them. And I know many of you in this room personally, and I know many of you in this room that that you're in the same boat. Like you're actively creating this this legacy that you're a first-generation Christian, but your children, they're going to be the second generation. And they're going to be affected by the blessing of your faith the same way that Timothy was affected by the blessing of the faith of his mother and his grandmother. That's awesome. They're creating this environment for their children to learn about Jesus. They're creating this environment for their children to ask real questions about faith in Jesus. And they are themselves equipping themselves to give their children good answers to those good questions about their faith. That's inspiring to me. Inspiring to me. There's two things that we should take from this story of Timothy's faith starting And particularly, the impact that his mother and his grandmother had on him. The first is this. You cannot thrive if your faith is not first ignited. Hear me out on this. No one can light that flame of faith in you. And you cannot light that flame of salvation in yourself. Surrendered faith in Jesus... And repentance of sin will result in Jesus igniting that flame of faith within you. You can't do it on your own and nobody can do it for you. When you turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus will ignite that flame of faith within you. And the second is this. You cannot ignite the flame of faith in others, but you can stack the wood. What I'm getting at is that you cannot make your decision, your your children's decision to follow Jesus for them, but you can instruct them. You can instruct them. Let me highlight two great Bible resources for parents in the room today. Uh, The first is my favorite. I do like to do my devotions out of the Jesus Storybook Bible because it's got awesome pictures. Awesome. Obviously, I'm being silly. But listen, if you have young children... And maybe you're wondering, how do I get that conversation started with my three-year-old? Like, how do we start that conversation of faith? This is a phenomenal resource. One of the best children's Bibles that I, and I, I've read through with both of my children. We go through this together, uh, you know, a couple nights a week or something like that. But uh, if all you do is start to just read a couple of these stories at bedtime with your children, your children will love it. And you will start that conversation of faith in your children. We have it out at the Element store in the lobby. It's a great resource. The other one uh, that I didn't bring out here with me is, is called the Smart Step Family. We also have it at the Element store as well. I know, I know that there's many people in our church that uh, are part of a mixed family or a step family in, in some way, shape, or form in every situation is vastly different. I, I understand that. But what I do know is that if you have a, uh, are a part of a step family or a mixed family, I know that you have unique challenges 
unique challenges, and there are some good answers to those unique challenges. So I would highlight that resource as, as another great one uh, that would help you in your faith. Um, you cannot, your faith cannot thrive if your faith isn't first ignited, and you cannot ignite that flame of faith in others, but you can stack the wood. The church fails if it responds to uncertainty with fear. So how can my faith thrive in spite of uncertainty? Well, my faith must be started. And number two is this, my faith must be stoked. My faith must be stoked. Verse six says this. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, I know when I say stoked, maybe that sounds confusing to you. I I don't mean stoked as in, man, I'm so stoked right now. And I know how awkward that sounds coming out of my mouth. What he's talking about, stoked as in fueled or stirred up. Even a good fire runs out of fuel eventually and needs to be stirred up, needs more fuel or more wood added to the fire. And the picture that Paul paints for us is bending down to the fire and blowing into the coals of the fire to reignite the flame, uh, the, the flame in the fire. That's the picture he paints for us. Our faith, it requires a certain degree of fueling to maintain a fire and passion in our faith. Have you ever done something that in hindsight you look back and you think, man, what was I thinking? That was such a dumb decision. Anybody, does that happen to anybody? Maybe I'm the only person that happens to. But you look back and you think, man, I really, I hope nobody finds out that I did that. I hope, I hope nobody was just watching when I did that. I can't believe I just did that. I'm sure we can all think of those stories in our life. Well, I got permission from Pastor Steve to share one of those stories from his life. I tell everybody, if you know Steve, if you haven't met Steve yet, when you meet him, you won't forget him, okay? He's one of the loudest people in this church, and he is a pastor here at this church. I'm not sure how that works, but at any rate, covered in tattoos, just a great guy, loves Jesus, one of my best friends. Anyways, this is one of those dumb stories about him that he, he gave me permission to share about him. Well, uh, Steve loves a campfire, loves a good campfire, and he has a fire pit in his backyard, just, just like I'm sure many of us have a fire pit in our backyard. And throughout the summer, on the nice summer evenings, his family will often have a fire in the fire pit and enjoy, enjoy that time together as a family. Well, uh, the same was true on a Saturday night, and they had a fire in the fire pit. They enjoyed that together, and eventually it got dark out. The fire burned itself out, and they began to clean things up and head on inside to bed. Well, in the middle of that process, uh, the, the coals of the fire had cooled off, or at least he thought the coals of the fire had cooled off. And maybe you can begin to realize where this story is going. You know how every now and you're if you're using a fire pit, from time to time, you need to clean out the ash that is collected in the fire pit. You need to clean it out from time to time. And that was the case this time. He needed to clean out the fire pit. He thought that the coals from the fire earlier that night had cooled off. So what did he do? Well, he took that fire pit and the ash from the fire pit and he dumped it into his trash can, right? No big deal, right? Except he lives in Cheyenne City Limits. 
Now, if you live in Cheyenne City Limits, you have a picture in your mind right now of what your trash can looks like, that it is constructed from plastic. It's a heavy plastic, but it's plastic nonetheless. And as far as I know, last time I checked, fire and plastic do not mix very well. Fire and hot coals do not mix very well. So he uh, dumps it into the trash can, goes to bed, thinks nothing of it. The next day, gets up early, comes to church early that morning because it's Sunday morning and we're getting ready for church. And he gets a text message, message picture from his wife, Cheney. Here's the picture that uh, she sent his way. <laughs> now, let me explain what you see in the picture. The trash can with a big giant gaping hole in it, that's the recycling bin, okay? Now, that big black spot on the ground, that is the remains of his trash can. It's gone, completely gone. I, I didn't even know that was possible, but apparently the fire reignited or something or the coals were just hot enough to melt that thing all the way to the ground. You can't even see the wheels. The entire thing is gone, entire thing's gone. So be sure and give Steve a hard time about that. One of my favorite stories. Here's what I know about a campfire. The effects of the campfire go with you after the fire's out. In Steve's case, the trash can needed to be replaced. When you've been around a fire, you smell like a fire. Your clothes smell like smoke. Your house smells like smoke. When you fuel the fire, you are affected by the fire. Spiritually speaking, when you stoke the flame of your faith, the effects are carried with you throughout the day and throughout the week. Understand me here. I'm not suggesting that we need to do certain specific works to maintain our salvation. But what I am saying, and more importantly, what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that spiritual growth requires intentionality. It requires intentionality. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Practically speaking then, what does it look like to fuel our faith? Let me give you two ideas here. The first is this. Fueling our faith is habitual. Fueling our faith is habitual. Reading the Word of God consistently on a time, in a time that you've developed to spend with the Lord. Developing a prayer life, spending time in worship, attending church, really listening to the message and prayerfully asking the Lord to challenge your spirit. Those are some of the means that God uses to stir up your faith and to reignite our faith, to build our faith. Fueling our faith is habitual. And then the, the second one is this, fueling our faith is relational. Fueling our faith is relational. The early church led the way by example for us, and they had fellowship together. They got together. They ate meals together. They lived life together. You may not realize it, but that kind of fellowship is one of the primary purposes of the local church. Paul models for us that kind of fellowship with his coaching and leading of the young pastor Timothy. 
the very fact that he wrote a letter that we know of as Second Timothy. He wrote that letter to Timothy. That in itself is relational. And I'll, I'll tell you what, one of my favorite times of the week is Sunday. And I love being out in the church lobby and having conversations with many of you. Because inevitably, every single week, God uses those conversations and, and, and some of those things, I, I mourn with people in those conversations. And I laugh with people in those conversations. And God uses those conversations to inspire me, to challenge me, to encourage me, to remind me of, of how good He is. You know, God uses that. He uses it to do something within me. It's the same reason that baptism should be public not private. The reason it should be public, not private, is that when the, when the individual getting baptized goes under the water signifying they're dying to their sins and they come out of the water signifying they're being raised to new life in Christ, we celebrate together as a church, right? And they, proc- they proclaim that publicly in front of the church and that is just as much for the benefit of the individual as it is the benefit of the church. Because I don't know about you, but when we see 20 people plus two weeks in a row get baptized and declare their faith in Jesus in front of several hundred people at a time, that is inspiring. It's inspiring. It builds us up in our faith. The church fails if it responds to uncertainty with fear So how can my faith thrive in spite of uncertainty? Well, my faith must be started. And number two, my faith must be stoked. Number three then is this. My faith must be supplied. My faith must be supplied. Look back at verse 7. It says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and and self-discipline. Let me read that again since I cut out. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. This t-shirt I'm wearing today is one of our uh, Fusion student ministry t-shirts. We have them for sale out in the church lobby. It's got that verse on it. And uh, you, could, you could support our student ministry today if you, if you want one of these. We have, uh, we have one that represents each color, uh, each of the colors from the three high schools here in town. But Jesus promised. He promised that he would send his spirit to fill the believers with the power they needed to fulfill his will. Let's read two verses here. Luke 24 verse 49 says this, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Acts 1 verse 8, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Simply put, salvation is not the only benefit we receive when we turn to faith in Jesus Christ. As we grow in our faith, as we pursue the Lord Jesus, He will fill us with His Spirit. 
And similar to the, the, the list of the gifts of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, Paul uses three words to describe the result of being filled with the Spirit. For the Spirit of God is not a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power. Spirit of power. The same power that was seen on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The same power the apostles were filled with by the Spirit of God to start the church in the midst of persecution. That same power is the power of the Spirit that will fill young Timothy. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. The Spirit strengthens and enables us as believers. It enables us to walk through the trials and the difficulties of this life. The Spirit gives the believer strength and resolve to do what is right. It's the Spirit of power. It's a spirit of love. 1 John 4.18 says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. When we intimately and personally experience the gracious love of God, forgiving us, when we did not deserve it, He gives us a deeper capacity to love the people around us with the grace and the love that He has shown to us. And the third word, the third phrase is this, self-discipline. Other translations use the words, a sound mind. Commentator Albert Barnes says this about that phrase, a sound mind. The Greek word denotes one of sober mind, a man of prudence and discretion. The state referred to here is that in which the mind is well balanced and under right influences, in which it sees things in their just proportions and relations, in which it is not feverish and excited, but when everything is in its proper place. In other words, self-disciplined, a sound mind, it means that we are not easily shaken. When the world is doing roller coasters around us, and friends, the world is doing roller coasters around us, the self-disciplined are not easily swayed. It does not mean that we will always know what's coming around the corner. In fact, most of the times, we won't know what's coming around the corner. But what it does mean is that we can have an unshakable trust in the one that walks with us around that corner. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says this, a sound mind means discipline. In other words, God does not intend that defeat should be the norm for Christian living. We should be disciplined Christians rather than slaves to our emotions. That phrase, slave to our emotions, Reminds me of my three-and-a-half-year-old little girl, Madeline. And I talk about Madeline often. She, is, she has absolutely got her daddy wrapped around her little finger. I mean, I love that little girl more than I can describe. Madeline, we often call her Maddie for short. And we, we joke often that we call her Maddie because she gets mad often. We call her Mad Maddie. And there's a lot of truth to that. She turns into Mad Maddie Lots of times every day. I know that. 
If you've had multiple children, I'm sure, I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, but our son, Josiah, is six years old. And from the moment he was born, you know, he had lots of, he had lots of moments, right? Just like every kid has lots of moments. But by and large, he was super laid back, just super chill, whatever. He learned how to sleep easy. You know, learn how, he seemed like he learned how to do most everything pretty easy, pretty laid back. And then Maddie was born. And oh boy, the world knew when she, show up, when she showed up because when Maddie came into the world, she made sure the world knew that she came into the world. And I've never met anyone in my whole life, never in my whole life have I met anybody that can go back and forth from hot to cold and back to hot again so fast, emotionally speaking. Like one moment, she will be laughing and silly and the sweetest little girl on the planet, just hilarious, and then something doesn't go her way. Like it, something happens that she doesn't want to happen and just bam, like the, the flip of a switch, she turns into this monster all of a sudden. Nobody ever tells you that, that they, they're, they're going to be monsters at times. They just make it out to be roses and, and everything, you know, and, and she turns into a monster. And I'll tell you what, for me and my wife, Aubrey, it, it, it's, it's frustrating at times. It's hilarious at other times. We're just like, I have no idea what I did. I'm sure I'll be saying that for the next 20 years. No clue. But I tell you, as, as much as we laugh and as much as we joke, there's a three-and-a-half-year-old little girl that I love with all my heart as a dad. And that three-and-a-half-year-old little girl, she is experiencing and she's processing these emotions for the very first time, right? And, and what she needs, what all, all children need, especially at that age and really through every stage of life, is she needs a dad and she needs a mom that love her with their whole heart, and will get down on one knee and will seek to understand and will help her as best they can process these emotions that she doesn't understand, right? That's what she needs. That's what she needs. And so we pray for her and we try to be patient with her. We fail weekly, I'm sure, but we, we help her as best we can process those things. Here's what I'm getting at. She can't learn those things on her own. She can't at least not in a healthy way. If she's left to learn those things on her own, she'll come up with a coping me mechanism or something that is extremely unhealthy. That's true, by the way, for most stages of our life. She can't do it on her own. She needs parents to help her with that. You can't do it on your own. You can't. You can't fill yourself with power you can't fill yourself with the love that only God can show you, that perfect love that casts out fear. We can't even experience that outside of the grace of God. And you certainly cannot give yourself a sound mind and a disciplined spirit. You and I, we desperately need the Spirit of God to fill us so that we have a hope of experiencing this spirit that is not a spirit of fear and it's not a spirit of timidity. It's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of love and it's a spirit of self-discipline. Fear is a reality. 
It's a reality for our nation. It's a reality for the church today. And it's a reality for each of us on a very personal and intimate level. And the answer to overcoming that fear in the face of uncertainty is not a behavior change and it's not a policy change. It is a deeply spiritual change. My faith must be started by the only one that can, Jesus. My faith must be stoked or stirred up. And my faith must be supplied by the Spirit of God. Every other promise of supplying what we need is a cheap imitation of the real thing. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these truths. And I pray that you would remind us today that your spirit is not a spirit of fear and timidity. It's a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us each to personally wrestle with that truth. Help us, Lord, I pray. Fill us with your spirit and do the work in us that no one else can do. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.